All right, we are recording. Oops, forgot to bring my mic down here. That's probably important. All righty, everybody, welcome in. Welcome back to another episode of the Frogs of War podcast. I believe this is episode six of the kind of resurgence of the podcast. My name is Ryan Bennell, and alongside me is my co-host, Anthony North. We've got a ton to get to today. We're finally finishing up our superlative awards from the 2021-2022 Athletics Year in Review or Recap Uh if you guys have been following along on the website, you've seen we've been posting every every couple days a new team. We've had soccer, we've had rifle, football, Anthony just posted. Um, so be sure to go check that out. And we're wrapping that up with the Superlatives Awards today, as well as a bomb has been dropped in the college football world and basically all of college sports because realignment seems to be upon us. Nobody really knows what's happening, but we will be discussing USC, UCLA moving to the Big Ten and what all that means for the future of college football. And that's pretty much going to be it other than some quick news hits, which we're going to get into right now. Anthony, you want to take it away? All right. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, a lot to get to. So uh, quick recruiting news since we last talked uh, on the the football trail. Um, A couple of new offensive linemen from the Dallas area um, added to Sonny Dyke squad. So we've got Narado Stoker, three-star lineman from South Oak Cliff. There's a there's a big guy here, six five three ten, offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman, but has played at tackle positions. Uh, so versatile guy, and you know his his high school film from his junior highlights already has him blowing people up and and pushing pushing people all over. So um, excited to get him in. He joins his teammate Bubba Brooks, who had uh, previously committed out of South Oak Cliff. Um, so exciting to get those two guys in. And then uh, another offensive lineman from Duncanville, Benjamin Taylor Whitfield, six five two seventy. He's a tackle, and and so filling up the O-line with, with Dallas guys and, and big boys too. And, and living up to um, the DFW big 12 team hashtag that, that Dykes and crew have come in and, and really tried to push a, a dominance uh, in recruiting to make sure these guys stay local, stay home here in DFW. And um, it's, it's really paying off so far. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Any thoughts on that? Nah, it's just nice to see getting some beefy boys. I like those stats already. Just six five, three ten. It's pretty solid. Yeah, and really piling up O linemen. I think it's it's four or five already of of the committed recruits are O linemen. So it's it's definitely a position of need that we, we need to frogs need to stack up the depth there. So encouraging to that. Um, you can never go wrong with that. On to quick baseball news. So. Um, the position that was vacated when Bill Moziello, um, associate head coach left to take the Ohio state head coaching job, um, has been filled as Kirk Sarlos was able to bring a division one head coach, Nevada's TJ Bruce, um, into, to fill that role for the Horn Frogs. Um, so just goes to kind of show that the commitment to, the program that the university has that, that we're able to um, TCU is able to bring in a head coach and, and take an associate head coach position at TCU. So um, good stuff there. And with that, this, this past week, we've seen two incoming transfers, both pitchers. Um, Yeah. And, and obviously the, the pitching staff needs, needs a reload and, and a refresh and, um, 
you know, they'll, they'll get in the system and, and Sarlos will be able to really uh, take hold of these guys. So we've got UNC Wilmington reliever Hunter Hodges and Nevada starter Cade Morris, who uh, moves with his with his former head coach uh, from Reno. Um, both of these guys have have, uh, according to reports, looked really good in, in the Cape Cod League through the summer already. And so I think it's um, I, we'll, we'll be definitely looking to, to them to, to make some noise uh, come next spring. Um, baseball team did lose one transfer to the transfer portal. So Garrison Berkeley um, has put his name in the transfer portal intending to, to leave TCU. Um, it's the second outfielder departure from the offseason. So Sam Thompson had already announced his entry into the portal. So, you know, getting a little thin on the depth uh, for the outfield. Uh, there's there were a few players that kind of rotated through there, but um, you don't you don't really like to see two from the same position. So that's yeah, unfortunate. I was about, I was about to say I, I, Berkeley kind of doesn't surprise me too much because he was you know mostly used as the utility player. Um, but yeah, that is tough to lose two out of the outfield. Overall, though, with the TJ Bruce, yeah, I agree with what you said. Like that is very impressive to be able to bring in a head coach to an assistant job. Like kind of really speaks to what the Frogs have going on that you know, TJ Bruce would be willing to leave that position to come for an assistant position. But, and also, you know, the starter, Cade Morris coming over with him, I'm sure they already have a great relationship. Sure. That's going to translate well uh, in Fort Worth. So yeah, you can't go wrong with adding a couple pitchers, which that's what we talked about last week too. Need to get more pitching depth, need to get our bullpen worked up. But now I guess it seems like we might need to sign an outfielder or two. Yeah, keep them coming. Keep, keep bringing that talent into the squad. Yeah. Um, next up, so uh, today um, in Wimbledon news, got some former Frogs that um, playing in the Grand Slam over there. And uh, so Alistair Gray, who's uh, lower ranked in, in the world rankings, but got himself into the Wimbledon tournament and earned a win in the first. So impressive work to him. Taylor Fritz, who's uh, world ranked number fourteen, so blouch there, no sh- no shame in losing yeah. to uh, to a top fifteen uh, talent, but um, exciting for him to get that that first win in Wimbledon, and and he's a he's a British guy, so getting that kind of on his at his home uh, Grand Slam is is impressive, and then fellow Brit Cam Norrie, who's reached his way all the way up to the nine seed. Um, in in this tournament he won earlier today in straight sets and will move on to the round of 16 so he's continuing to push to maybe get that first grand slam um on on his trophy case um so he'll he'll get uh american tommy paul in that round of 16 matchup and i think that's on maybe july 3rd morning um here texas time so, do, you know, uh, do you know what Cam Norrie's world ranking is? Because I know he's just been slowly but surely climbing. Yeah, I think his world ranking is 12. 12? Yeah, 12. That's pretty solid. Jeez. Yeah, so he's he's the nine seed here in this tournament, 12 in the world ranking. And, uh, I mean, he's he's racked up something like five-plus million in, in earnings. And yeah. he's he's killing it out there. He's he's uh, To Doing get to well that level on, on the world stage is, is incredibly impressive. So exciting stuff nice. for the former Frogs. Yeah, I remember not too long ago. I, I'm not a huge professional tennis guy, but uh, 
I saw Cam Nori played uh, Djokovic, and I forget what competition it was, but he was up against Djokovic. Djokovic was like a minus 1,300 betting favorite. Nori was like plus 800. I'm like, I, you know, sprinkle a, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> sprinkle a little bit. And Nori got beaten straight sets. So, I mean, yeah. it happens, though. It's Djokovic. But one day he will be in that upper echelon where you can beat guys like Djokovic better. I mean, he's on the right path. Dude's just getting better and better every time I hear about him. He's got a, got a big opportunity here at Wimbledon. I mean, he's yeah. – the bracket sets up for him okay. I think he would get Djokovic in the um, – in, like, maybe the semifinals. So, I want that, though. I want to see so, that. Yeah, yeah. I think I, it, it's – they're on a collision course. Let's let's yeah. make it happen. I'd be down for that. Um, last piece of of kind of big news that came out through the last week: the Big Twelve announced um, selection of its new conference commissioner. It'll be Brett Yormark. 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 Yeah, Yormark, Brett yeah. Yormark, um, replacing Bob Bowley, who uh, retired, um, or yeah, he, he was his let go. Uh, so, so Big Twelve moved on from Bowlesby, and and your mark will be coming in. He is leaving his job as the chief operating officer at Rock Nation, um, the record label and sports management, entertainment management company. Um, so he's uh, coming from outside of the college sports world. Um, you know, similar to what the Pac-12 did, bringing in George Klyavkov from MGM Resorts. Um, who had basically no sports um, experience outside of like running sports books, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it, it, this this seems to be kind of a trend of these. You need a CEO more than you need a college administrator. You you mm -hmm. need someone who can run a business and you know make moves in the marketplace more than somebody who can you know is is talking about classes or whatever. You know, I think it's it's clear that these conference commissioners are are meant to be less of a college administrator and more of a uh, a businessman. Yeah, true. But yeah, and I, I kind of part of me likes it the hire just because it's you know a little bit out of the box. It's different. Um and although yeah this guy Yorman or Yormark sorry is probably more of a true businessman because of his background. But also, I mean, Rock Nation does have like a whole sports management group. So I think that's may give us like a good combination of like the businessman background, business mindset with also kind of like having that passion for sports, which is what you want. You know, you don't want somebody to just blatantly ignore like all like the human aspects of sports or anything just for like money and what's best for the company and yada, yada, like, you know, so I, I think just based off the small amount of information I know, I'm totally I'm pretty happy with the hire. I'm curious to see how it'll pan out because I was uh, not a big fan of Bob Bowlesby. So, yeah, yeah, th that's probably the the best thing about this is that it's not Bowlesby. Um, I think, <laughs> I, I, you know, obviously the way he just kind of got um, run laps around with, you know, Oklahoma and Texas leaving and, uh, you know, things with college football playoff. And I, I don't know, I think, I think uh, his time was, was up and it's time for some, some new thoughts there. And, and yeah, back to, to your mark though, you know, he doesn't, he's not totally void of um, sports background. He mm -hmm. was president or he was an executive in the Nets organization oh, okay. um, yeah. See, for, for many years. He was, you know, was the 
facilitator of their move from New Jersey to Brooklyn and was the CEO of the uh, Brooklyn sports group there where they, you know, built the Barclays center and brought in all the sporting events to the Barclays center. So, um, and before that also worked for with NASCAR, he was an executive at NASCAR. So he definitely has a sports mindset, Mm -hmm. uh, no question. And, and, you know, we'll bring some of that connections and savvy to, uh, to the big 12, hopefully. And, and it's, it's a big time and we'll, we'll talk about it once we're through some of this other stuff, but obviously a pretty critical moment in college sports, uh, right now as, as we're, we're on the cusp of of another realignment, um, explosion here. So it's, it's going to be madness and he's going to be thrown right into that fire. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see there. And, and one thing coming out of this, so, you know, in all the, the media reports, it's all coming from Jay-Z's Rock Nation, Jay-Z's <laughs> Rock Nation. So I guess I'm, I'm curious as, uh, as an old man, is, is Jay-Z to you, is Jay-Z relevant? Like what, who is Jay-Z to you? Is he, is he just some old guy who, you know, runs business and is married to Beyonce or what's, what's his, what is he to you? <laughs> Well, I don't know. The best way I could describe it would, for me at least, I I mean, I guess everybody's a little bit different, but for me, I kind of view him like Dr. Dre, almost like a father figure of hip hop. Like he's kind of had his time in the spotlight, but now, you know, if Jay-Z drops an album, everybody's going to listen to it and they're going to listen to it once probably. Cause like, you know, his albums now are not the same as they were back in 2000. So um I, I view him kind of as like a godfather of hip-hop in a way one of like okay. the founding fathers with like dr dre him because you look at like they're just prime examples they've run businesses they've started record labels like dr dre with the beats they've done so much for hip-hop like other than just making music so yes he is an old rich guy but like he's a very involved old rich guy that does like a lot for the hip-hop community still but that, that's the best way I could describe it. I don't know. I, I won't say that I'm a big, I don't listen to Jay-Z on a daily basis. Okay. He's, he's not running. Okay. I got you. I got yeah. you. I was just, I was just curious. Like, Cause you know, I mean, uh, I think like black album dropped when I was in high school. So that's like, that, I was just about to ask like, what, yeah, what Jay-Z that, that, albums that's, were out. That's probably, A-day. that's, I, I think, yeah. I mean, blueprint to, and black album dropped while i was in high school and and i had heard some of this stuff before but that's probably my my most experience with jay-z is uh is listening to those and and yeah i mean like you've got watch the throne and stuff like that more recently with kanye and he's done other stuff but yeah that's probably my my closest uh jay-z like my, I guess in my like heyday of music when Jay Z like was Watch the Throne and also Magna Carta. Oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. But Watch the Throne was definitely more iconic just because you know Jay Z and Kanye together. But yeah, I don't know. It, do you have a do you have a favorite Jay Z song from uh, the Black Album or anything? Well, so probably my my go to there is uh, on Blueprint Two. There's a song called Meet the Parents. And it's like a story. It's not like a banger. It's not like you don't go to the club and listen to it at all. It's it's like a kind of a sad story. But it's it's like a, I don't know, old school Jay Z telling a story. It's like more that kind of rap where I like that. Yeah. 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 So th- go find that. Go find Meet the Parents. Listen to it. It's a really good one. Um, 
probably my my favorite like fun Jay Z song is Ninety Nine Problems. Oh yeah, that's classic. Yeah, that's a that's a banger for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I respect that. I like, uh, I'm a big fan of kind of like, not to be cheesy, but you know, like the lyrical, meaningful music rather than, oh, let's turn the bass up to full volume and let's go to the club and bang out, you know, like there's a time and a place for those those songs. But yeah, if I had to pick one, I'd probably say Holy Grail with uh, Justin Timberlake. Timberlake, yeah. Yeah, classic, but cool. alrighty, enough on, <laughs> enough on Jay, uh, Jay-Z. You know? <laughs> Um, let's go ahead and get into now. Uh, I think it's finally time for some superlative awards. Anthony and I have put together a little bit of a list of, you know, basically fake awards that we have disseminated amongst TCU athletes. We got freshman of the year, coach of the year, you know, international athlete. We got a decent amount. So we're just kind of kind of go through them one by one. Each of us give our take. Probably not, not spend too much time on it because I know we're going to have a ton to say on the USC, UCLA stuff. Uh, but, yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. Starting off with, if you had to say, this is also across all sports. This isn't just one sport. This is every sport on TCU's campus. So if you had to pick a freshman of the year from the 2021-22 athletics year, who are you taking? All right. My choice is, is David Bishop from the baseball team, first baseman. Um, started basically every game all season right from the jump um, and was a huge contributor to the Big 12 Conference champion, you know? So I think that's a, that's a tough place to, to just come in and, and be a, a contributor at all as a freshman, but to, to be a starter um, at, at an infield position and, and hit near the top of the lineup that he – uh, huge contributor uh, right out of the gate for a true freshman. Yeah, yeah, definitely a good choice. Uh, I went a little different route uh, with the <laughs> soccer team, and I went with Cameron Lancaster, who was an electric forward for TCU soccer this past season. Began the year coming off the bench, uh, fresh legs for Eric Bell's pretty relentless attacking uh, scheme, and Lancaster quickly found herself in the starting lineup after just contributing on – it felt like every other goal Lancaster was involved on, if not every goal for some games. Uh, she or she created chances left and right. She has crazy vision, could pass it from nearly anywhere on the field, and she can finish. She had, I think, nine goals and eight assists, or vice versa, eight goals and nine assists. So to do that as a freshman for one of the top soccer programs in the country is nuts. So Lancaster is definitely named to uh, – to look out for in the college, collegiate soccer world. I think she's going to win a Matt Herman trophy eventually. All right, next up, we got a little bit of a fun one here. Locker room MVP. Who is, uh, I guess that's pretty self-explanatory. You know, who's the guy, who's the heart and soul of the team, lifts the spirits, all that jazz. We know it's Eddie Lampkin. It, yeah. he, he lifts all our spirits. He, yeah. he gets us all fired up. I, I think it, it's it's clear in all those like locker room videos that they show post game uh, that that the athletic department puts out, and it's clear on the court even when when he's on the bench before games, after games, um, he's he's the guy. So yeah, there's, there's no question he he uh, he gets us all hyped and and ready to cheer on the frogs. Yeah, I remember Anthony and I were kind of like trying to do different answers just for discussion's sake. But then, you know, this one, it's Eddie. It's Eddie. It's just so clear that it has to be Eddie Lampkin on this one. Uh, just 
aside from even those videos of the locker room, like this dude shows up to football practices. He goes to volleyball games. Like he loves the university and beyond out a first pitch at a baseball game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and beyond that too, he's like one of the nicest athletes that I've ever met at TCU in the sense of like, he, you know, students will go up after a game and take pictures with Mike miles and stuff because like, he's Mike miles. He's like the best, you know, best player on the team. All the freshmen want to take a picture with him and everything. Like same thing with football, like people take pictures, but Eddie will like talk to the students, like just a random student that comes up to him. He'll talk. He'll like laugh with you. He'll dap you up like you're his friend already. So like, he's just that kind of dude. He's he definitely is far and away locker room MVP, probably locker room MVP for like the last decade of TCU sports. If I had to pick no, no doubt. Yeah. He's, he's the man. What can you All say? Right. And then next up, we got surprise of the year. So which athlete kind of, this isn't necessarily to discredit anybody. Like, obviously we expect everybody is a talented athlete, but maybe who kind of had a much better year than expected, who had improved crazy over the course of the season. So who was a surprise to you? Yeah. My big surprise, my breakout was Tommy Sacco, a uh, shortstop on the baseball team. He, he, Going, he's he's been the starter at shortstop, and he's been an excellent defensive player out there. But his his hitting numbers had not been, you know, anything to write home about. He he was kind of uh, just another guy in the lineup. Um, and this season, he came out and just exploded. Um, I don't have the stats in front of me, but he slash lines jumped like two hundred points where, you know, he's, he was hitting in like the two hundreds. And then this season he was hitting over like three forty, um, hitting for power, hitting, uh, you know, clutch hitting, s- stealing bases. Um, it just, he was, uh, the kind of the heart of the team and not just doing it defensively or in his leadership, but, but doing it, uh, with the bat in his hand as well. Yeah. He, he was definitely the, backbone of the team this year um and i went different round again uh for me the surprise was uh, i chose lauren collette uh, again of the soccer team not because we didn't really expect her to be good but because we didn't know what to expect like she truly hadn't had a full opportunity with tcu legend emily alvarado in goal uh the season before or her freshman season and then with Alvarado deport, departing, Lauren Collette got a chance. Um, at the beginning of the season, she did split time. Um, I'm blanking on the name right now. Uh, with, I believe, Summer Holt? No, it was – I'm blanking. But we had a transfer goalkeeper. Um, she split time with at the beginning of the season. Eventually took over the starting role. Finished with one of the best save percentages in the country. Uh, I think she had double-digit clean sheets, so it was very minimal of a drop-off, if any, from Alvarado to Colette, which is saying something because Alvarado was that good. So my choice was Colette. Yeah, huge shoes to fill, and uh, did it not just you know didn't just fill those shoes, but you know really lived up to that role and and gave TCU a chance in every game and. Um, I think really exciting in, in shootouts too, where, you know, she's, yeah. she's stopping PKs and yeah. Yeah. Eric Bell would always like, he said it multiple times throughout the year because there was a couple penalty shootouts where Colette would make a save and he would always say, you ask for your keeper to make one save in a shootout. That's all you, that's all you want. 
Colette can make two. And like, he would always say that, like, we're confident she can go out there and save two of them. And if they save two, then you're in golden position to win the shootout. So definitely a huge, uh, huge talent and glad it worked out for the frogs. Cause that was a, a big key position for him. And next up we got coach of the year. So this one's a little bit more traditional. Anthony, what do you got? Yeah. I went with David Roditi from men's tennis. Um, you know, I think that tennis program, he, he's he's built that program to the point where there are high expectations and, you know, they have an absolutely stacked squad. But um, to win an indoor national championship, to go into the outdoor NCAA tournament as the number one overall seed, um, to, you know, the the team that he put together and the way that that team went and performed this season um, was even to a, a, another level for the TCU men's tennis program. So that that's where, that's where my head went is look, if, if you bring a national championship, it's right. Yeah. Uh, you get the coach of the year nod. Yeah. I, I had a tough, tough time deciding this one because I almost went with Rodidi as well. I also almost went with uh, Karen Munoz, the rifle coach, because again, national title. Um, but I, I ended up going with Jamie Dixon because I mean, we all know it's no secret how crazy this basketball season was for us uh, getting the first tournament win in 30 plus years. Uh, but I really went with Dixon, not only for the tournament win, but for what he was able to accomplish with the team he put together and, uh, eight transfer players, a group of guys that have never played a full season together, let alone practice together, brings them in, has a couple, you know, question marks, a couple worries at the beginning of the season, like, oh, are we going to drop off once we get to Big 12 play? But he improved. Like, the team got better. He found his system. He coached really well against some of the big teams. Uh, so it was very, very close for me, but I, I went with Jamie Dixon just because I think he's kind of set up the basketball team for great success in the next coming years. And yeah. I mean, he, he was able to meet every moment. Like mm -hmm. he, you know, there were, there were moments and up until the final moment, uh, yeah. you know, I think he, that, that team and, and his coaching was able to meet every moment. I, I, I think, yeah, it, it was, what's great about TCU athletics is you could have picked probably, four five six yeah. different coaches here and it exactly. could have been a correct answer you could have picked sarlus i mean it's mm -hmm. his first season he wins a big 12 yeah. title you could have picked um bell uh the job they did with the uh with the soccer team so yeah it's we're we're blessed at tcu with the with riches uh in the coaching department yeah for sure that's what i was just thinking too like you you can Kind of with the, I don't know, I always think of like the Jordan-LeBron argument. You can skew the numbers any way you want to make the case for either player. Same thing with these coaches. Like you can, like Sarlis, you can make the point, first year, Big 12 champion, made it to the tournament. Like, yeah, all of these guys have been, guys and girls have been pretty impressive for the Frogs uh, as of late. And staying with coaches, though, next up we got the assistant of the year. Who's your assistant coach of the year? Yeah, I gave it to Bill Moziello. I think, you know, we, we talked about Tommy Sacco's improvement uh, with the bat, uh, but but really you see it uh, across the board with the Horn Frogs hitters. Uh, Eli Nunez took a huge step forward. Um, and, and 
this is how it's gone through his long tenure at, at TCU, but, but uh, he really gets these guys in and, and improves their ability at the plate. And um, it really came through and, and you, Kirk Sarloose um, suspension in the big 12 tournament. And unfortunately TCU lost both of those games, but you know, at, at, at no fault of Mosiello, I wouldn't think. And, and no, now he gets yeah. that opportunity to, uh, to hit the big stage in, in the head coaching job at, at Ohio State. Yeah, definitely you can't go wrong with that choice as well. This was another tough one because, uh, again, you could probably skew it any other way for any of these assistants. But uh, I went with Jerry Kill uh, for the football team, and it was an interesting decision for me because, like, yes, he didn't really come in and – take us to a bowl game or something, you know, but he was thrown into the fire. You know, he had come into this year kind of not expecting to ever be a coach again. Uh, and now he, after this season, got a head coaching position at New Mexico state. So good for him. Uh, excited that he's going to keep coaching. Um, but that Baylor win kind of cemented it for me, just coming in first week, you know, keeping everything together, not letting it blow up having your players stay disciplined, like it was huge, you know, and Kill kind of embodied everything that Gary had set up for the program. Kill had embodied everything that, you know, TCU football was all about. And he just kind of went in there and kept going. So I got to give a ton of credit to him for just being in that position, being thrown into the fire literally halfway through the season and finishing the way he did. Although, it, yes, could have been better. I think he still did a great job. I mean, he got the job done in that Baylor game. That's, yes. you know, if if we can forget everything else that happened all football season, but Jerry okay. Kill in the first game without Gary Patterson beat Baylor. So top 10 we're team. all good. Yeah, we're all good there. <laughs> we're all square. Um, all right. And then next up, we a little bit similar to the surprise of the year, but more specifically, um, who is the most improved athlete from this past season? Yeah, I went with Eddie Lampkin. So, you know, I, in going into the season, he was always had been the fan favorite and the fun guy. And, you know, people him as, oh, there's there's Eddie. We're excited if he gets in the game, maybe. Um, this season, he became a force on the court. Mm -hmm. um, you know, his, his numbers jumped way up. Um, and, and, this probably goes over a couple years where, you know, you look at the the pictures of, you know, out of high school and over the last couple of years, the, the improvement that he's made to his body, to his, his oh, physical sure. abilities, um, to where he's, he's still that big force on the floor, but he's able to get up and down the floor quick and, and make plays. And he's, he's a complete athlete out there. Um, and now he's now he's on the national stage, you know, NIL deals. He's he's uh, he's a well-known figure at this point and, and will be a, a, a key cog going forward and and was a key reason why that team. Was able to do in this past season. Yeah, this was Eddie is definitely a great choice for this because I just remember I knew he was working in the offseason. You know, I knew he was trying to lose weight. But then seeing him that first game of the year, I was I couldn't believe it. I'm like, no way. Like 
he lost, what was it? I think like 75 pounds. It's a transformation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, he still maintains <clears throat> that beefiness, that, that big body. He can still power through people in the post. Yeah. He was just phenomenal this year, especially whenever you consider he was kind of like uh, the guy that the fans would cheer at the end of the game for Eddie with like 40 seconds left of the right. clock, you know? So crazy transition from last year to this year. Um, I decided Eddie was probably a 50-50 coin flip choice for me. Uh, but I went with Tommy Sacco just for the sake of difference. And basically, there's really not much to add with what you said on the surprise of the year. Like, he's been a solid defensive player, but really that that offense is bad. Just started swinging this year. Crazy improvement. He was one of the guys that the Frogs relied on countless times this season to, to crack one on base. So definitely those two I'd say are probably the top two uh, most improved from last year to this past season. All right. And then another little bit of a fun one, not a traditional one, but uh, we got the king or queen of consistency. Who is just straight up the most consistent athlete? You can always count on them. Day in, day out, they go and produce. Who you got? Yeah, I went with the the doubles combo of Luke Famba and Jake Fernley from the men's tennis team. Um, they ended the year as uh, the regular season, at least, as the number one pair um, in the country, and they were just they were just. Am I back? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, From the top spot, um, you know, taking on the best uh, pairing from the other team went 19 and five in doubles through the season and, and each also competed in singles going 35 and 11. Um, uh, Yeah. Just being able to, to have that kind of dominant duo um, is, is just such a benefit. Uh, You, you kind of gives you a backstop for, uh, for that tennis team in, in each match. And they were, they were pretty highly ranked as a, as a duo, right? Yeah. They, they were number one yeah. pair. Okay. Well, that, I'd say yeah. that's pretty highly ranked. Yeah. Yeah. I went, uh, I decided to go with Stephanie Grunzo of the TCU rifle team. So uh, if you guys have been following along on the website, check out the, the rifle team recap talked about, they won the air rifle national title, got a runner up in the aggregate score. Um, but Grunzo was the rock of the team. She is far and away the all-star, as well as Kristen Hemphill is a stud as well. But Grunzo is just so consistent. It's absurd. Uh, every aggregate score she had this year was between 1180 and 1190, with only one oddity on each end. I think it was an 1178, which is crazy for that to be her lowest score all season. And then an 1194, which was a team uh, record or team best for the season. So She's been nuts. She's always in like the top 10, top 20 nationally uh, of shooting. She's had perfect score on air rifle before. So she just, every time she has a rifle in her hand, she's probably going to shoot well is what you can get out of this. So Grunzo is my choice. Um, Next up, we got international athlete of the year. TCU has definitely had a bit of an increase in terms of international athletes across their rosters over the past couple of years, mostly with, the transfer portal and everything you've seen it with Rodotti's tennis team, even on the basketball team, a few guys. So if you had to pick any of these international players, who would you say? Oh yeah. I went with Emmanuel Miller from the basketball team. 
Uh, he's from he's from Canada, so Canadian basketball has been has been growing, and and you're seeing a lot of NBA players. You're seeing their national team is as much improved, and uh, Miller is is getting some opportunity to play for uh, kind of some of the the youth national teams. I, I, that's probably not the right phrase, but um, you know that, that's. Again, a starter on one of the all-time great TCU basketball teams. Um, and, yeah, I, I think it's easy to say, oh, well, Canada, that doesn't really count. Canada's, that's that's close it's by. Still, it's that, that's international. Yeah. He's Canadian. We'll give it to him. Yeah, and well-deserving as well. E-Man was phenomenal for the Frogs all season. Um, I decided to go with a little bit more of a traditional uh, international country, per se, <laughs> And I went with uh, Juan Carlos Aguilar, who is from Bolivia, grad student on the tra- or grad student on the tennis team, previously at AM, but this year was just one of the rocks for the TCU tennis team. Was constantly up in the higher in the rankings. Just went out there and, and got dubs. That's all I got to say. He he was fantastic for the tennis team all season, and definitely one of the uh, top international guys. In, a, in the purple and white this past season, which the tennis team is basically all international athletes. So really any of them could have fit this bill. You could have just said, yeah, the tennis team, <laughs> yeah. much of the women's volleyball team, the beach volleyball team. Yeah, yeah there, there's it's there's several like that, yeah. All right, and then uh, next up, wait, yeah. what was that? No, no, go ahead. Okay, I was going to say next up, uh, we got the duo of the year. So this can be in a duo sport like tennis, or it can be in an individual sport. Uh, what do you got? Yeah, speaking of of players from the beach volleyball team, I went with Daniela Alvarez and Tanya Moreno, um, who were the the number one pairing for the beach volleyball team. Uh, and you know that the team overall was the number two seed into the tournament. They, as a duo themselves, were. Um, the conference duo of the year. They were all American duo of the year. They, um, they did it all. So, and, and yes, they, they, so they played together on, on the court, um, at the same time. And, you know, they're both from Spain and play together on Spanish national teams and in international competitions. And, and yeah, their, their rapport shows on, on the sand and, and they're, they're dominant. I mean, they, uh, yeah, they, they lost very few matches all year again and from the number one spot. So they're facing whatever the best squad from their opponent has to offer out there. And, and they, they took on everyone that came their way. So, um, yeah, I think they, that's, that's the duo of the year. I, you make a hard, uh, hard argument to counter that. So, I'd say they're up there, Famba, Fernley up there. But I went with an untraditional duo, not like technically paired together. Um, but I went with the football team, and I went with Zach Evans and Kendra Miller uh, out of the backfield, just the two-headed monster. I know everybody's a little bit panicky because we lost the five-star recruit. That is Zach Evans. Um, but Kendra Miller is a baller. Like these two together last year, combined for over like 1250 yards and i think they had close to 80 to 90 carries each so they're averaging each of them were averaging over seven yards per carry which is absolutely nuts 
Kendra Miller averaged half a yard more than Evans, also had two more touchdowns than him on 10 less carries. So I know Zach Evans is that illustrious guy. Miller's going to be just fine. But last year, those two together was a force to be reckoned with, no matter who got the ball. That front seven on the opposite line, opposite side of the line of scrimmage should be worried. Um, but that, that's who I went with my duo. Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. I mean, yes, the, the TCU football team will be just fine with Kendra Miller. I think, you know, like you said, we um, had published the football recap last year. And one thing going back, watching all those games, which is as hard as it was to go back and watch some of that stuff <laughs> is, is pretty bad. But um, one thing that I think got buried under all of the, the losing was just how amazing and dynamic and all of the possible adjectives you could say, Zach Evans, he, he was incredible. Um, and, you know, I think he took a lot of heat from TCU fans just generally of like, it became kind of clear that he was ready to hit the transfer portal and had an eye towards the NFL. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't really know why fans would begrudge that so much, yeah, I don't he, you know, yeah. like you said, I mean, he, he, he got his carries and he took those carries and was mostly incredible with them. I mean, there's some of his touchdown runs and catching runs out of the backfield. The way he runs is just so smooth and so clean and, you know, yeah, we're, we're going to miss him in, in the purple and now that he's down in Ole Miss, but um, I, I think just taking a, a little look back at, yes, maybe maybe running back is where five stars matter the least. You know, you can throw anybody back there and they're pretty good. And Kendra Miller is excellent. So how much better is Zach Evans? And probably not that much better, but man, he's he's something else. And it was, I, I think TCU is going to miss him though. Yeah, to have Kendra Miller as like your second option is nuts. You know, that's why I just... Those two together, like typically teams, depending on your formation and scheme, like you put in that secondary or third running back, they're like, oh, they're passing it. You know, they're not going to run the ball with him. But with the Frogs last year, Evans, Miller, hell, even Amari DiMercado, they could all carry the ball. So they were definitely a, uh, a force to be reckoned with for the most part, <laughs> I guess. And last but not least, the big one, we got MVP who is the overall most valuable player from all TCU sports. Yeah. In my mind, this is, this is super easy. The The most valuable player for TCU athletics in 21, 22 was no question. Mike miles. He was the star of the basketball team that brought TCU. It's it's first tournament victory since 1987. Um, he's the, the leader of the team, face of the team, star player. And, and was a fighter. And, and so, yeah, he's, he's the most valuable player. He's, he's the man. This is another one that we just had to agree on because this is the clear cut answer, uh, in both of our minds. I agree hundred percent. It's gotta be Mike miles, uh, everything he did for the team put the city on his back, literally fighting for his city for worth. He played through a minor wrist injury for the majority of the season too. And to still put up like 20, 20 plus points per game is nuts. And when you look at an MVP esque award, you got to think about where would that team or where would that unit be without him? And I think of any team on campus, 
you take out Mike Miles, that changes things more than it would, like, say, taking out Zach Evans from the football team. No you know, doubt. like it's a much larger impact. He means so much to the team. It, the offense runs through him. So you got to give it to Mike. Uh, I do have an honorable mention, though, uh, from the soccer team, Messiah Bright, uh, the lone All-American. She was a Mac Herman Trophy semifinalist. She had, I think, two two hat tricks throughout the course of the year, finished with like close to 15 goals. She was nuts. She was just putting the ball in the back of the net. But overall, Miles, I think, was definitely most important to that team. All right. We did it. We got through we got we through the superlatives it. after like what? I don't know, two yeah. or three episodes. <laughs> At least three weeks, yeah. Yeah, you know. But all right. Now it is time to talk. I've been waiting for this. The, the demise of college football as we know it. <laughs> Might be a bit dramatic, but dramatic. who knows? <laughs> okay. We don't know what's gonna happen. Literally everything is up in the air. Chaos is bound to ensue one of these days. But for those that don't know, USC, UCLA officially set to leave the Pac-12 for the Big Ten in 2024 as their bid was accepted yesterday. And uh, all I got to say is this makes zero effing sense. <laughs> like, they have two Southern California teams going to play in the snow of Columbus, Ohio. They're going to be playing in blizzards in October when they're used to 70-degree weathers and palm trees. Like, what? Yeah, I saw your little money thing. You're yeah. totally right. Well, yeah. Once again, yeah, it, yes, number one, that'll be hilarious. It, it, yeah, <laughs> seeing, like, seeing like the baby blue, the powder blue in – In the snow that'll be that'll be fun but yeah i mean it, it's all the big tens got the money and and this fortifies them to for a future super conference opportunity and yeah. you know it like it, it makes no geographic sense it makes no sense really outside of a football context well, i mean um, if, even like if we're talking like the business aspect, maybe, but from a football standpoint, the brand of Big Ten football is much different than Pac-12 football. It is, and really, though, like, what is Pac-12? At least for USC and UCLA, what it what are they to Pac-12 football? They, they, I mean, it's really been it's been Oregon and it's been Utah. You're right. Yeah, um, yeah. They're just the historic like yeah. You know, they're like yeah. the UT basically of the conference. Right. You know, exactly. Yeah. Reggie Bush, all time great Big Ten athlete. Right. Uh, <laughs> I Clearly, it's going to be different, different styles. Um, but uh, it's it's all a land grab. What who can you who can you get? And and all these schools, they've got to find themselves a place somewhere. I think, you know, back this time last year, when when Texas and Oklahoma made their move, I think there was a lot of kind of national panic of, Oh, the, the big 12 is done. It's over. But even, even losing those two with knowing that you were going to be able to pick up some combination of, of the top G five teams was probably still in a better position than, than the PAC 12. Yeah. Um, from a media standpoint, from a on field on court standpoint, um, yeah, we were definitely I, at least vulnerable. I felt I felt Big Twelve was still in a better position uh, than than the Pac twelve was. Once and, we added those four teams, I agree. yeah, and and then once we added the four teams, it was it was totally on. I mean, I think I think 
the Big 12 is now in a, a clearly position of strength here um, if it decides to be. We'll see what uh, your mark is able to come in and, and make happen. Yeah, I've heard basically every conspiracy theory out there uh, on like what could come to be with all this. I've heard people say, of all things, the Big 12 is going to disperse that TCU, Oklahoma State, and Tech should go to the Pac-12 immediately and just leave the Big 12, which to me doesn't make much sense. I don't really understand that because I think the Big 12 right now, we've kind of solidified it. We're okay. If the Pac-12 wants to blow up, we'll gra- we'll gladly take Arizona and ASU and try and compete maybe with those bigger conferences because right now it's SEC is going to be at 16. Big 10 is going to be at 16. Pac-12 is down to 10 now. And the Big 12 is finally at 12 teams for like the first time in a long time. So the conference names make no sense, but that's beside the point. I just, I don't know. Um, Do you think this is going to be similar to the 2011 or 2010, 2011 realignment? Yeah. And and yes. Yeah. This, this is going to be a major shakeup. We're, we're definitely getting some movement. And I think where, where this is, even even bigger because it's it's going to be fully national scale there's going to be and and really i think the g5 level of this has already happened so like the way the Sun Belt conference usa that whole thing kind of shook up trickle down fully there that how many conferences do we end up with how many teams in those conferences where are they um, there's, there's a lot to happen, but it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be way more, way, way crazier this time around, just because it's going to be all these huge brands making moves, uh, for the future. Yeah. And going back to a point you, you said, how kind of once UT and OU left, everybody was in this panic, like, oh, here we go. Everything's blown up. But then it quite, it was quiet for a couple months. Everything kind of simmered down. Nobody was really talking about realignment for a while. Um, and it almost seemed like we were just going to kind of continue at, as we were with UT and OU going to the SEC, and that's that. But then this move, to me, in my mind, is like, this is it. Like, here we go. If UT and OU wasn't going to blow everything up, USC, UCLA, the combination of both of them, yeah. it has to. Like, literally something has to happen now. And so, of course, Texas and Oklahoma were the first dominoes to fall. But, like, if the Pac-12 is to blow up, like like you said, Oregon is definitely the powerhouse right now of that conference. Even with USC and UCLA still there, Oregon is the football powerhouse. And you can even argue basketball. Um, but what what are they going to do if the Pac-12 blows up? Yeah, I mean, Oregon's going to find a home. That, they're, yeah. the, they're the safest of anybody. They, I think they're, they're definitely going to find a home just because you've got the Nike money. Phil Knight, they, they're, they're probably on the Big Ten shortlist. Uh, I, I, you know, if they were on the, (laughs) the big 12 short lists, that would be fantastic. Bring them on, bring them on over. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, throw up the rock, uh, from Rockefeller is very similar to throw up the O from, from Oregon. So maybe your mark, go, go bring them over here. Um, (laughs) I'd be okay with that. Might be a little scared, but I'd be okay with it. But, uh, yeah, well, that, and they're they're going to continue to be good at football, and they're going to continue to have a very strong brand. So they'll be fine. Um, however, it shakes out, I, I I have to think that yeah, they're they're going to find a place in 
in this new Western expansion, uh, Big Ten. Yeah, yeah, I think Oregon again, like they're definitely the safest of the bunch because you have to think if anything's going to go down, the most likely scenario is that the Pac-12, you know, ceases to exist. They're going to be the Big East of a decade ago. You know that everything kind of falls apart. Teams are going to start leaving. But there's also talk, too, about in the ACC, Clemson, Florida State, Miami, those somewhat powerhouse programs are looking for SEC or Big Ten invites. And, of course, nothing's confirmed. It's just rumors. But, like, if that happens, is the ACC and the Pac-12 going to cease to exist? Like, and then we're just basically going to have to have a massive Big Ten and a massive SEC? Like, I saw this one take on Twitter it's pretty funny. Um, they said, hey, guys, I have a crazy idea. Let's just get like 24 teams in a massive conference up north and call it something like the Northern Football Conference. And then we can do the same in the south, maybe call it something like the Athletic Football Conference. And then at the end of the year, the NFC champion and the AFC champion can play each other for the championship. It's it's a crazy idea. It, it would be pretty super. Moving, yeah, yeah. That, that, that final game could be super. Played yeah, in a hole. Exactly. So we're basically moving to the NFL, especially yeah. if you consider like the NIL aspect, how the players are getting more power over their coaches. It's just crazy the direction everything is going right now. I, I have no idea what is to come. Yeah, I think to the to the question about the ACC, I mean, I wonder how nervous some of the teams are there. You know, like you said Clemson, Florida State, and Miami are going to be safe. They'll find a, they'll find their way somewhere, whether it's the SEC or the this Big Ten. Um, but yeah, like what what happens to everybody else? I think again, they may be on less solid ground than some of the teams in the Big Twelve and and even this new Pac Ten. So yeah. I, I'd I'd be concerned from their end as well. I think. Everyone probably is is just nervous about what what it's going to mean to their team. Um, unless unless you're sitting steady in the Big Ten or the SEC, you're probably a little worried about how your the state of things are, are going to shake out. Yeah, because I wonder too, like what would happen? You know, like the Georgia Techs of the world and the ACC, like same thing with like in the Pac-12. Like, I mean, I guess Colorado's pretty safe. I don't know though, but. Not really, I guess. No, yeah, they've, right. got to, they've got to come back to the. They've got to come on back to the Big Twelve. And I would be totally see if the Big Twelve was to add because it makes the most sense geographically. If we were to do Arizona, Arizona State, those probably take priority. I would love to see Utah just because of you know rehashing a little bit of a rivalry. Yeah, and the, the BYU rivalry too. Yes. I mean, once you've you've got that massive rivalry on uh, in your conference, you you can definitely sell that to. Uh, television providers yeah exactly and you know if we we're gonna bring all those guys on you kind of have to round it out with an even number and colorado would fit the bill just you know come on back maybe <laughs> i don't know though would you prefer for the big 12 to add teams or stay at 12 if everything you know blows up i think i think you have to add i mean I if you're too. if you're trying to keep up eventually this is going to to come into some way uh it, and this is probably part of why we haven't gotten to an expanded playoff yet, because this conference stuff has to shake out probably before that happens. Um, but you're going to have to keep up at least in numbers to 
keep your television rights packages uh, viable to keep um, your your to keep pace in any kind of whatever the to keep up. I think you cut out a little bit there. What was that last part? Just saying that if if you want to be a participant in however you obtain a national championship, you're going to keep up uh, with oh, yeah. with the Joneses there in yeah. in at least grabbing teams that you know in 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 a year you know so, sometimes Utah is excellent, sometimes Colorado is excellent, sometimes Arizona State is excellent. So yeah, it, and and then yeah, you're you're also not just doing it for football because some of this stuff if you're competing with those other conferences in basketball as well, yeah, I mean, you, you bring on the Arizona schools and, and Utah particularly, that's, that's big time basketball. The big 12 would, yeah. would be very much the, the top basketball destination. I mean, I think they already are, but yeah, you're right. Like you have to look at kind of across all sports. Cause although football is King and football is likely going to have the biggest impact in terms of deciding conference realignment. Um, you know, you got schools like Virginia, who have a fantastic baseball program, fantastic basketball program, haven't really done much with football. So like, where does a team like Virginia land? You know, where does a team like Vanderbilt land? Who's like academically awesome and really good at baseball, but not so much anything else. So like, it's going to be interesting to see if those teams get left out of, I don't know, maybe like all these big conferences, new power conferences, whatever comes to be. But Overall, with kind of everything we've discussed, if you had to list like your ideal scenario, because something's about to happen, what would you prefer it be? Yeah, my, my thought on this is th- we already have super conferences. That's happening now. We've got two super conferences. Yeah. And may as well just make it happen. Make Get, get your... Uh, my my thought on it is three conferences of 24 teams in each conference and each conference has uh two divisions of 12 that is leftover Pac-12 schools and maybe like Texas Tech and then and and BYU and then you've got like a Big 12 East that's Rest of the uh, the hateful eight, and then you know maybe pull somebody from the ACC, um, pull in Louisville or something, and and that that becomes your your twenty four team conference. When really it would probably operate more like two twelve team conferences. It would it would end up appearing very similar to the way conferences used to look not that long ago. Um, but they would just be kind of controlled under one banner. And yeah, I mean, you could, you could have it where the two divisions, the, the two divisions of the, the West and the East big 10 play in the Rose bowl for their, uh, for their conference championship. And then, yeah, you know, the, the, the two winners from the two sides of the, the big 12 play in the, in the cotton bowl or in Las Vegas or something. And, and so it, maybe it becomes like a way as uh, like a play in into the playoff. I don't know, but that, that kind of separates though a very, even though we already have the power five separates this power three would separate. And those, those below the, the, those three conferences would, it would really turn them into like FCS level 
um, yeah, and the way their access to a playoff, their access to, you know, televised games. I think it, it may be that going that route is just too devastating to the sport of college football, but I think that's, that's the way that makes the most sense without it just being these two running away with all of the power. Yeah. I think, you know, we're kind of beyond the making sense point of college football, <laughs> but like, but it, I think that that's not too bad. I think if it's going to go that direction, the super conferences, that's kind of like a nice middle ground almost um, kind of the way I thought about it, the way you described it was uh, how in bowl games, you know, the Rose bowl is typically big 10 pac 12, at the end of the year, but it's almost now like we would have that regular season matchup of this half of the conference versus this half of the conference for basically the whole year. And then the winners would get to go on. So that is interesting. I would like, you know, the big 12 to be a part of it. If we are going to do three super conferences or at least for TSU just to get in one. Um, But if I had to have an ideal scenario, it would be that everything just stop. We just, we just stop doing what we're doing we the NCA focuses on football for once because you know five years ago the NCAA was this super strict governing body like they literally I remember there was a kid that wanted to transfer from Georgia to Nebraska to be closer to his dying grandmother and they wouldn't let him play and, like just because they're so strict such sticklers and then now they're oh you want to sign a million dollar NIL deal sure oh you guys want to leave conferences sure yeah sure sure just willy-nilly everything's just happening so I want the NCAA to focus on college football rather than the off-field aspects of college football. But ideally, if we could just keep five conferences, 14 teams each, I don't care who moves where, I would like to keep five conferences. But it seems like we're definitely headed towards the super uh, super conferences. I will say, though, I also have an interesting proposal. Now, are you familiar with the English Premier League and European soccer like relegation system? Oh, yes, absolutely. I love this. Okay, Go for so it. For those that don't know, the bottom three teams in the Premier League, they are automatically relegated, sent down to the secondary tier league called the championship, whereas the top three in the championship move up and are automatically in the Premier League. And this affects finances, TV ratings, everything. Like It's huge for the club to move up or move down. And I think it would be very interesting if we had a college football world where we had three or four tiers and you needed to get in the top five to move up a tier. And then once you move up a tier, you get access to more funding. You get more primetime TV slots. But if a team like Ohio State, they go six and six one year, they're down a tier. They're losing money. They're not getting as many, you know, so I think it would be a very interesting element it's never going to happen ever. Like America would never do that. I love it as a thought. As I think it's impossible because yes. it's just not, the schedules are uneven. Yeah. You, you don't play everybody. Right. So like in, in the premier league, everybody plays the same schedule over the course of a long season. And so you're, you're able to very clearly determine, all right, these three teams, you're done. You're, you're down for next season in college football. You know, if you've got if you've got a bunch of you know Sunbelt teams playing each other, is that at, you know? But Kansas goes zero and twelve against a, a Big Twelve schedule. Who's actually worse? How do you how do you determine that? Is it Maybe. some computer? Is it is it the BCS calculation? Each um, conference represents a tier. 
Each tier has 12 teams. There you go. They all they all play a schedule against each other, and if you get okay. last, you go down. I don't know. Okay. That might, no, that's that's creative. Yeah. I like it. That might make sense a little bit. America, American sports will never do that, but it, it's fun to uh, conspirize. A it's too bit it's too fun and interesting to to happen in in anything in American sports. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, overall, yeah. So you had the three super conferences. I would much prefer that over you know just the Big Ten and SEC, which looks like what we have. Um, but kind of to wrap it up, we've talked about it a little bit overall. From a Big 12 standpoint, what do we think they are going to do? Not what could they do. What do we think is like the most likely outcome for us? I'm pretty concerned that it ends up being do nothing. Um, yeah. And I guess I say concerned because I just I just don't think that that puts the conference and TCU in particular in a very good position for a long-term future. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if I and, and it's a it's a new world. We're out of a Bob Bowlesby world, so you that know I, maybe I'm thinking in a Bob Bowlesby mindset of whatever's the wrong thing is what we'll end up doing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think I, so. I would like to think that the Big Twelve now has an opportunity to be the aggressor. Mm-hmm. in this in this situation and the big 12 has had that opportunity in the past and turned it down when uh, you know several years ago all those same cincinnati houston memphis byu boise all those same teams were begging to get into the big 12 and the big 12 went through that whole dog and pony show asking for proposals and flying people all around the country and just said no we're good and moved on and, you know, I, I kind of think if Cincinnati and Houston and UCF and BYU were in the conference previously from a few years ago, Texas and Oklahoma may not have had quite as much need to leave. You yeah, would have had a, you would have had a much broader national um, audience. You would have had, uh, you know, an opportunity at a, a bigger pie for a, a TV markets and for, for TV um, meet rights. So, you know, I think it's unfortunate that the Big 12 sat on their hands for so long. And now given the opportunity to, to go attack, I'd like to see them go attack, whether it's go take somebody from the Pac-12, go take people from the ACC, um, you know, what, whatever it is, um, make sure. And, and it's definitely not signing up to some alliance agreement or, <laughs> yeah. you know, your mark becoming good friends with Klyavkov from the Pac-12 and just like, oh, we're all, we're all buddies because clearly that's... There's no buddies in the modern college football there's, world. There's no buddies. So y- you got to go take it. And, and I hope the Big 12 goes and takes it, whatever that I, ends up being. I totally agree. I think at this point where we are right now, the Big 12 definitely does have to act like an aggressor. Um, I would prefer we add four teams from the Pac-12, just have the Pac-12 blow up, everybody go somewhere else. We take Utah, Colorado, Arizona, ASU, like we said. Um, But, you know, we also mentioned the possibility of, like, Clemson, FSU looking to get in these super conferences. So if that happens, ACC might be blowing up. I'd be okay with taking four ACC teams. But I agree um, with just the direction, with what everybody else is doing. We would look foolish to not at least try and do something and add something. because if you do add those teams, I think right now the Big 12 has a pretty strong brand as is. And like if you add those four teams, that's just 
I guess I was going to say you can't beat that, but then you got the SEC. So like, yeah, and and the SEC is very clearly, you know, the the fan bases. You're filling a hundred thousand seat stadiums, but at the end of it, you've got you've got two teams right now, at least that are head and shoulders above everyone. Yeah. And they're, they're above everyone other than maybe Clemson and Ohio state nationally as well. So yeah, the sec is great because it has the two best teams. You're right. But their depth but is outside of that, I mean, you know, okay. Tennessee's a little resurgent. LSU's down, but has a new coach. Florida's down, but has a new coach. How, yeah, how mean, good is the SEC really? Picture, and, and yeah. you know, I, and and that's obviously talking from a not an SEC hater. I grew up in SEC country, rooted for SEC teams. That's 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 my uh, my past. But I, I'm not a hater. But I, I don't know that outside of of the two the two big guys is the actual on field product all that much better. No, you're right. Than, yeah, you're right. I think if we're talking depth and like big picture wise, the Big Twelve definitely competes because just those. Two, three schools every year, like that 11 and one Alabama, 11 and one Georgia, 10 and two LSU. Like they always get all the media attention, get, get all the talk because, like, oh, look, they just beat Tennessee and Vanderbilt by 30 points each. So I, I would agree, though. I think the Big 12 is a little bit more competitive from top to bottom. Um, I, I just, yeah, where, where, where the Big 12 today and probably forever cannot compete is just in fan support. Yes. No, nobody will care about. TCU the way that the people of Mississippi care about Ole Miss. We're not Very buying ni- 19,000 jello shots in Omaha. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Right? So <laughs> so yeah, and that's that's understood, but you know, outside of of that and 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 the Big 10, I mean, like shoot, who's who's going to Northwestern games? You know, I mean, Rutgers Washington. games, right? <laughs> like that's Come on, Just don't don't pretend that like Northwestern and Rutgers and like Indiana are bigger uh, and and more passionate about about football than you know the the fans in Stillwater or like Ames, Provo, yeah. Utah, or whatever. Like it's, it, it, I think Big Twelve is very strong in, in in that way. Obviously, losing Oklahoma and Texas means you don't have a brand at the level of Ohio state or Alabama or Georgia, but outside. Back. Oh, sorry. I think you cut out a little bit, but no, I, I, I agree exactly basically with what you said. Um, it will be interesting to kind of see how like the media views us and everything. Once we don't have the OU brand or UT brand, um, but we don't need it. Who needs May, that? Maybe a question for you is what do you think's best for TCU? Like TCU just thinking selfishly for itself. Because I did I saw some reports that like, hey, the Big Ten's not done, and on its list of teams include Kansas and Oregon and TCU. Interesting. Is that from a from a purely selfish TCU perspective? Is that a better option than sticking in a Big 12 that expands with with new brands? That is a tough question. I 
I don't know because like, yes, it would be awesome to be included in the super conferences, like to be considered one of those upper echelon teams that deserves a bid. Um, but at the same time, if we go to the big 10 or the sec, we're probably not going to have much success right away. And I don't know if I would rather. Eh, really? I mean, I don't know. Uh, is, is beating Illinois and Indiana and Purdue and, right. I mean, and Northwestern right. Right. and Maryland. Thinking, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking Ohio state, Michigan. Yeah, you're right. You know, it, it's basically the same thing as playing Oklahoma or Oklahoma state on their good years. Yeah. 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 Come on. I, yeah. I, I, I would say if I had a personal choice, I would say I would rather us stay in the Big 12 um, as long as it's secure. Like, I think what's best for us is if the Big 12 is secure, not going to blow up anywhere, we may add teams, then I think staying put is the best scenario for us. But if shit hits the fan, I TCU finding a new conference would be the best. And that's the thing is it's that security of like, all right, we're in the we're in the good club. We're, uh, you know, we, we, we got our, we're made men. We got our pass. We're all set to, that's what that, that's what a big 10 invite would mean. Yes. And that's what, you know, 10 years ago, a, a big 12 invite meant, yeah. uh, to, to TCU. So I, and, and at that time it was an easy thing to say, oh yeah, I can't wait to go and, and beat Texas eight times and go, go beat Baylor. And Yeah. That was that was an easy choice. I think it's a harder choice when it's like, oh, I got to travel to Champaign, Illinois, and I got to travel to, you know, Madison, Wisconsin. That that sounds less fun. Well, Madison, Wisconsin sounds pretty fun. That would be cool. But... <laughs> yeah, seeing, jump around in Camp Randall. That would be fun. It would be fun to to relive that some some Rose Bowl memories of of uh, taking them down in Pasadena. But um, yeah, I don't. I, I'm I'm totally with you. I, I agree that uh, I, I'd love for the Big Twelve to be stable mm-hmm. and to be in it, included as part of the in crowd. But right now, Big Twelve's not part of the in crowd. Yeah, and, and like, would I be opposed to a Big Ten invite? Because to me, if we do like get an official Big Ten invite, that means the cookie's crumbling. Like, and we need to yeah. take it. I don't think if we get an invite, we should not. Hesitate. Somebody else will get it. If, exactly. If, if you don't go, it's going to Oklahoma State or somebody exactly. else. It's going to somebody else. So we're going to have to jump on that if it happens. So that also is interesting, too, because, you know, what happens if your mark gets an invite for or not your mark? Sorry, that's Big 12. But like if TCU gets an invite specifically to the Big 10. Um, sorry, I just blanked completely on what I was about to say, but. Would would we just would would we take it? Would would Donati? Oh yeah, we're in. Would he? Yes, yeah. No, would he yes. make it happen? Yes, that. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, basically, would we take it right now? Because is the Big Twelve secure enough right now to not or to say no to that? You know, it's not. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's exactly. definitely not secure know. enough right now. That's why. That's why the Big Twelve has to be on the offensive. Because if you don't go and fortify it now, you're going to lose somebody to the to to somewhere. Um, exactly. and, and everybody's going to be out looking for themselves. If you don't, if you don't make the big 12 strong enough to, to withstand whatever's coming. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, going to be a fun next couple days or week or so. I don't know how long this saga is going to last, but I'm going to have, yeah, my, who knows? 
I'm gonna have my Twitter notifications it's, on the right. It's never, yeah, it's never ending. This, yeah, it, I'm sure there'll be something massive next off season as well. Next, next summer, some something yeah, crazy will happen again. Yeah, with the way college football is heading, I don't even know what's gonna happen next year. So yeah, I mean these these two moves the last two years were pretty much unthinkable. Mm-hmm. And they like happened. If, if you would if you had said three summers ago, oh yeah, um, in a couple years. Oklahoma and Texas will be in the SEC, and USC and UCLA will be in the Big Ten. It would have been like, well, why? What? Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's, why? That's, what are you... that's ridiculous. That makes no sense. And so here we are. Yeah, I remember when like the news first broke. I was on Facetime with my girlfriend, and I was like, "Babe, do you understand what this means?" <laughs> and she's like, "No." And I'm like, "It's crazy. This is insane." <laughs> and like, I just started basically explaining. She's like, "Well, why would why would they leave the Big Twelve for the SEC?" And I'm like one word, money. That that's it. <laughs> that's that's it. basically it. So, yeah, it's gonna be a wild time uh, in the college football world for the next few weeks or months or who knows how long this will last. But it'll be fun theorizing and making conspiracies as to what might possibly happen. I'm sure there's gonna be millions on Twitter in the near future. But yeah, we'll probably end up touching on this again if something else happens. You know, if like. Another team moves a conference. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be little nuggets along the way, little rumors dropped, a little something. Yeah. This won't be the end of the news on this this topic, and you so know we not, yeah. we we had to react to it. It's fresh. We're it's it's fun to, it's to think about, about all this craziness and like what, what's what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? And yeah, just just hope the frogs have a seat at the table for a college football playoff in the future. Yeah. Yeah, this is like all I've been able to think about for the last two days, as well as also, you know, Kevin Durant potentially being traded. But that's neither here nor there. That's another topic. But yeah, sports news has been nuts lately. Alrighty, though. I think that's going to round out the episode for us. If you guys stayed till the end, we appreciate you as always. Uh, be sure we'll be posting another episode next week. Check out our recaps 2021-2022 year in review. We got a lot of sports up right now. Got one coming tonight, uh, or I guess yesterday when you listen to this. Um, swimming and diving will be up, and we'll continue it from there. I think basketball will probably be the next big one up on the board. Uh, so, yeah, thank you guys for listening. We'll see you guys next week, and go Frogs. Go Frogs.